I'm Ben Jenkins, and this is Mentel. Together, I want us to smash the notion that men should keep their challenges to themselves, that they should man up in difficult times and just get on with it. Here, we're doing the exact opposite. Here, perfection is not the goal. The goal is to show blokes that it's okay to talk about it, no matter what it is, because life is far from perfect, and neither are we. In fact, this episode is far from perfect. I work from home, and while we were recording this, my one-year-old decided that sleep wasn't for him. So you might get to hear him protesting in the background. And that's great, because that is life. So let's pick up the conversation. I don't think the problem we have in our society is that men don't want to talk, because I think they do. It's that there aren't enough men, and probably women, listening. Yeah, okay. And so it's how can we create openings for men to step into Mm -hmm. so that they'll feel safe to talk. Yeah, yeah. Miles Prodder has been involved in men's work for decades. His organisation, Men's Business, is all about helping men face the challenges of life together. In my experience, growth and learning is made easier when you have other blokes to help you stay accountable for improving yourself. To do that effectively, you need to have men who can truly listen as you talk and work through the challenges. The listening sheds that Miles' organisation runs are the perfect way to do this. So let's bring him in to hear more about it. Miles Prada, welcome to the Mentel podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here, guys. Thank you. Excellent to have you here. I love the work that you're doing. And uh, you've been involved in, in men's work for quite a long time, yeah? Um, getting men to talk openly and freely, which is exactly what we're all about here. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your journey into this arena and, and what's uh, led you to it today? Yeah, well... It's so good to have someone ask. <laughs> it's wonderful to have a chance to tell your story. Yeah, cool. I come from Canada and I uh, grew up in a, in a very male family. Our m- mother passed away when I was quite young, three younger brothers, lots of male friends. And I feel that I've always been a kind of a man's man. You know, I enjoy mm. the company of men yep. and I have great male friends from childhood who are still in my life, you know, and it's wonderful back in Canada and, and in the UK as well, where I lived for quite some time and now here in Australia. Yeah, so cool. so I, I love the company of men. Yeah. I never was thought about working with men or develop any sort of developmental side of uh, men until I moved here. And, and it was really interesting. My wife and I moved here with our daughter and our daughter, she was in, at school and she got invited to go on this, they called it a service trip. And they went to India and she went to serve in these Mother Teresa's homes for the destitute and dying and all wow. these different kinds of things, places that Mother Teresa's sisters were, were working on. And it was, it was run by a boys school, but she went to a girls school, but they were sort of, they were invited to go along as well. So there's a lot of girls going along. And, and it was just, Extraordinary daughter came back like really a, a, quite a different person, you know. How old was she? She was uh, sixteen. Wow, what an experience for a sixteen-year-old! Yeah, amazing experience. Mm. It's service learning, they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy running it was a, a really interesting guy, and he sort of spotted me kind of hanging around, and and he saw my interest really, and he said, "Look, I'm taking a bunch of fathers and sons to the desert." And, and I'd really like you to help me come up with some sort of program where we do some sort of, I don't know, father and son bonding. The boys will be about 13, 14. Mm. And, and I really think you would be the perfect guy to help 
to, to do that. Yeah. I'm going to run another side of the trip, you know, the logistics and everything. But I really want you to do the father and son bonding bit. And I kind of went, oh, sure. OK. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, there, was looking around and I read all these books and Stephen Biddulph's book yeah. about raising boys. Yeah. Yeah. Raising boys, all these different things, because I didn't really have much, much of a background. I came up with something. And, and you know, there was this mo- moment where we touched down in, in Alice Springs and we went out to the desert. I just expected the, the fathers and sons to kind of gravitate towards each other. Mm. And it didn't happen. You know, yeah. the men all sat back and talked about, you know, house prices. <laughs> and the boys just were kicking around footy. And, and it was yeah. just this kind of chaos. And it didn't really quite work that way. We had this plan to sort of do these conversations around the fire. And at the at nighttime, we got the men sitting around the fire and then the boys sitting in a circle uh, kind of in, in, inside. And I got the men to start talking about their fathers. And the boys were listening. They'd never heard such sharing from their, their dads before about mm-hmm. their fathers. Yeah, yeah. And one man spoke about, you know, uh, quite a, an abusive father. Another man spoke of an absent father. And another man spoke of a very loving father. And there's all these different experiences going around this fire and the boys were just listening and you could just see this change happen. Yeah. And it was this beautiful moment. I thought, wow, there's this incredible thing going on here that just feels ancient and feels yeah, yeah. right and feels beautiful. And of course, I'd read about the fire and the talking circle and all these things we all know about, right? Yeah. But I never really experienced it in that way. Each night, I had to recreate it because the, no one wanted to do it. They just wanted to mess around. Yeah, yeah. And the fathers couldn't bear the thought of going back into that level of intimacy again. But then once we got them there, they slid into it again. And it was just this beautiful experience. So I, I think that was my introduction to men's work, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, what an introduction. Yeah, to be given that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And that sharing, like it's so interesting, isn't it? It's like, you know, initially, whether they're boys or they're men, they, they kind of slot into what they know how to do. And that's, you know, for boys, that's, you know, knocking about with other boys. And with the fathers, that's sitting there talking about house prices because, you know, that's probably what they do quite a lot of the time. But then as soon as the boys see their fathers being vulnerable, then they're like, hang on, something different's going on here. What's what's happening here? And then that's when that curiosity comes about and that empathy comes, you know, that connection. That's right. That's right. Mm. You could see the the boys physically getting closer to their dads. Like, yeah, you know, right. kind of, uh, they're, they're still 13, 14. And so there was still that kind of innocence at that age. Yeah. And, and But there, it, was, it was very beautiful. They can feel it. They can feel something. They could feel it. And they wanted to be close to their fathers. Yeah. And they also got close to the other men, hearing the other men. And so you could see all these conversations going, you know, between boys and other men at other times. And you could see these little kind of uncle kind of relationships growing, yeah. uh, uh, which, was, which was very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So w- was it a kind of a particular experience or, or life event that led you to want to do this work with, um, with men? Or was it a different kind of progression? I don't know. I mean, I can't really answer that question. Mm. What what caused it? I I know just an urge. Yeah, it was just a, it was just an urge. Probably as a young man, as a teenager, really as a as a boy, mm. uh, when my mom passed away, it got so dysfunctional and bad in our family through no fault of anybody. But my jet, my dad just couldn't handle it. Couldn't communicate. And yeah, it was a yeah. Terrible time. And my brothers, I had three younger brothers. And it just was so uncomfortable and I was so uncomfortable. And so uh, I, I was supposed to be the strong older brother and 
I became quite authoritarian and bossy and didn't like myself doing that. And so I think I think I was struggling for years wondering how to be authentically me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity for men to be authentically themselves. And what I realized is, is you have to create structures or opportunities for that, occasions for it, because it doesn't happen naturally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Men won't talk like that. Even if they've done it the night before, you know, around the campfire, and you've heard this incredible story about this pain this man went through with his father, the next day it's all back to normal. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're on the bus or you're walking around or you're in the desert or, you know, you're having a hike or something or yeah. making food. It just goes back to normal. So you have to keep creating opportunities for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so probably pain from my, my childhood was probably a big motivator for me to think, how can I get men talking, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just hearing you say that really resonates with me, that idea of finding your, your authenticity or that sense of, of being authentic. That didn't happen for me until, I, I don't even know, I think it was probably like in my 30s, you know, I'm in my in my mid 40s now. But similarly, you know, my parents split up when I was probably about 13. And, you know, we went to live with my mum. I've got a twin brother. And, and I think for me, there was a lot of masking of that mm. and kind of sucking up the emotion and never really being with those feelings and never really owning them, never, mm. you know, being me, just, just trying to cover it up and make sure everyone else was okay. And then my father actually passed away when I was in my early 20s. So again, mm. I was doing that to kind of protect protect my brother and it wasn't until you know later in life where it was you know experiences with with some other blokes who were similarly open and engaging in that kind of conversation and this kind of support for other men that I really started to open up and and own who I was yeah so it's interesting I, I that completely resonates with me yeah I did have a good experience at, 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 after my mom passed uh of you know being taken by my friends to this church mm -hmm. you know this uh, youth club in the church yeah my dad was a, a jewish atheist right you know so i'd never been in a church in my life yeah yeah so i was kind of suspicious but like why are we going there oh it's a youth club there's girls yeah. there oh that sounds good you know? yeah. so we went to the basement and and there was this kind of very daggy sofa and there was a record player and there were girls and it was all great and this guy this priest kind of you know with a dog collar and jeans and wild hair this is like the early 70s you know so yeah so this guy was like mod squad you know god squad mod squad yeah. guy sets down and he and he goes hey you know you must be miles yeah yeah i'm miles yeah well i'm john and i said hi john you know and he said miles i heard your mom just passed away how are you doing mm. the way he listened he didn't say anything mm. he just listened with his eyes and just kind of sucked it out of me yeah I've been, yeah holding all this pain back all really like what you're saying ben about keeping it all together yeah. uh, as a young fe young fellow young yeah, man yeah. And thinking that's the way to be yeah i hadn't cried or anything and he pulled it all out of me and i had a good cry and 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 told him how i was feeling and after 10 minutes i just felt so much better and oh, he, yeah and he said is that it i went yep <laughs> and he goes all right well maybe see you next week yeah yeah phenomenal what a good cry can do for you like it really is you know, a burden shared is a burden half, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, and so he, he just got up and moved on. I could see him doing the same thing elsewhere. And I went back a few times. And I think it was a, a moment of, of beauty in that, in that painful time. I didn't learn, it, learn that at the time. I just kind of moved on and never went back to mm -hmm. After a couple of months, I didn't go back to that church. 
my dad was very anti-religious and he found out and he said, don't go back to that church. Yeah, and, right. you know, so it was quite painful in that sense. When I look back on it, gosh, there was this incredible, again, this man mm. being beautifully intimate yeah. in a really powerful way. Yeah, yeah. And you got what you needed there in that moment. Yeah, I got what I needed, but like, but this guy was as masculine as you could ever imagine. And yet this, the emotion flowed. And I, and I got to see those two, these two things can coexist, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think this leads perfectly into what you're doing now and, and the idea of story sharing and our personal journeys and the work that you're doing with your organization, Men's Business, and the listening shed that you have as part of that. And I think that blokes opening up and truly listening to each other about their life experiences, it's imperative for, for connection. And also the lack of it is creating our lack of connection. But when we do listen to others, it's like the key to opening that connection lock, right? It's great talking to you, Ben, because it's given me ideas to how to put this in language. Mm. Men need openings to step into, yeah. I believe. Well, not, I'm not talking, not all men, because not all men need this, but a lot of men need an opening to step into in order to talk. Yeah. Movember did this fantastic research, you know, four countries, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, USA, I think. Mm-hmm. And they did this research, 4,000 men. They asked them all sorts of questions. And one of the things that came up was that three quarters of men say talking. They, they, men know that talking is an effective way of dealing with problems, yeah. right? But most men know that. Yeah. But most men don't do it. No, no, no. Because <laughs> the November research also says half the men think society expects them to be emotionally strong yeah. and not show weakness, yeah. right? Yeah. And especially when men are, men are under pressure, over two-thirds of these respondents said they shouldn't talk about it because that would look beyond manly. Yeah. And then about 40% say, uh, I had a terrible experience opening up before, so I'll never do it again. So you kind of go, huh. So men know that talking's good, but they don't do it. Yeah. And, they're, and they're blocked by these various things. So I don't think the problem we have in our societies that men don't want to talk because I think they do. It's that there aren't enough men and probably women listening. Yeah, okay. That is that is a great point, yeah. And so it's how can we create openings for men to step into mm. so that they'll feel safe to talk? Yeah, yeah. I think so many of us don't think, think listening isn't really important because it's so passive or mm. it looks so passive, right? But, you know, inside you're going... I got to stay connected to this guy. I got to stay connected, yeah. you know, look interested, right? Yeah. But it looks passive, but it is really the greatest gift. A couple of years ago, something I just kind of grew, drifted into, I was talking to some friends and, and we were really interested in, in developing mentors mm-hmm. and developing mentoring skills. And, you know, one of the guys you interviewed, uh, Ian Westmoreland, has done a wonderful job of recruiting and training mentors. Yeah, he sure has. And yeah. we tried that here and it just it didn't quite, didn't quite take off in the way I was expecting, but the mentor training for me was mostly just getting men to learn how to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. So I'd have groups of you know, 15, 20 guys sitting there and, and I just get them to pair up and just share something that they're dealing with with each other. And then I hear at the end of the story, oh, you know, one guy said something like, oh yeah, I, I have a life-threatening illness and I've probably got about five years, seven years maybe to go. And until tonight, I've never talked to anyone except for my doctor and my wife about it. Wow. And I realized after talking, I need to make a plan. Mm-hmm. I don't have a plan. And I'm just going to work and I'm just suffering, you know? 
the other goes the baby. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> that was fine. And so I, I just thought that was an incredibly profound thing for someone to say after just just two guys who don't know each other, sit them together and get one guy to listen for five minutes. That's what comes out. And this other guy was going, oh yeah, you know, my wife died and I'm sorting, trying to sort through all her stuff and I haven't been able to, but it was so great talking to this guy beside me because I now, I've now got a plan, you know? And it was so good because the, the training I gave, the, well, the training wasn't hardly, you know, it was more like instructions. It was just shut up and listen and don't say, just don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all you can do is ask them, how do you feel? And is there anything you'd like to do about it? Yeah. That's all you can do. And they did that. And, and these guys were coming up and it was so counterintuitive for all, all of us men because we want to come up with solutions and we want, to, we want to fix someone and we find the emotion very difficult. So we try and divert the conversation away from something emotional. I just noticed how powerful the listening was Yeah, and how it just drew men out. And not everyone had these profound things to say, but a lot of guys did. So that's when I just, I realized that you could package this into something shorter, an hour, and just get men, just teach men how to listen. Yeah. In a very respectful, calm, peaceful way that creates an opening for another man to step into and talk. Yeah, absolutely. We know that, you know, the, the, the old, you know, masculine stereotypes have, have had a lot to, to do with men talking and listening in the first place, that kind of stoic mentality of not showing your emotions and bottling it all up like we talked about. But why do you think that, the, that listening has become such a lost art? You know, is this is there something else in there as well? Because I I don't think this is a solely a, a male thing. You know, it, it does it does go across men and women. You know, we've talked to people in the past on on the podcast who've who've mentioned similar things about their mothers being fairly stoic. I know in sort of my parents' generation, being in England, that whole stiff upper lip thing was mm. you know was was a big thing. But do you have any any thoughts on on why it has become such a lost art? It's almost like we always want to fill some space with with our own thoughts and feelings. Yeah, gosh, and that is a very profound question. The way I, w- I would seek to answer it is that, you know, like my, my dad's generation, you know, he was a, so my dad had to escape the Nazis and then he ended up in Palestine and he got recruited to the British Army. Wow. And was in the British Army, you know, uh, that whole thing. Mm. And then after the war, he was involved with kind of smuggling Jewish, you know, uh, survivors of the concentration camps and all that into what was then British Palestine and the British didn't want them to be, it was very difficult. So my dad had this whole kind of massive history, yeah. of, uh, drama and everything. And he never said a word mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. you know? And he said, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just not going to stop asking me. Yeah. I, we managed to wheedle a few things out of him, but really not much. And it was only after his death we discovered a lot more. And, and I know there's a generational thing. Everyone's suffering the same thing. So my pain is no greater than anybody else's. So I'm just going to shut up. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think there was that. I would say two, two other things. One thing is that we don't have time to sit down and listen. Mm. We don't have space to sit down and listen. We don't, and we don't have structures. And when I say structures, I, that sounds a bit formal. But we don't have a... A, a, a sitting around on the porch after dinner and there's no TV and there's no radio or yeah, there might yeah. be a radio. I, just sitting around and yarning and talking. Yeah. And so those sorts of things don't exist. And I'm, I'm not saying deep and meaningful conversations would always happen in those days. But 
I say, certainly we don't have the time. And now I'd say that listening, why why would you listen to anyone? Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, it's all about what I've got to say. And we live in a very problematic time in terms of the influence of of, of all kinds of forces upon us that take away time, space. Yeah. And we haven't ever been taught how to do it. Yeah, I think your your point about time and space is a key one. It's definitely how the modern world has gone, you know, and, and you know, we're also busy, you know, mothers and fathers both working at the same time, trying to make enough money to, to get by. We're all just trying to do enough to kind of get by and there's not really a lot of time and space for much else. You're right. One of the things that you're teaching the men in your programs is, is an awareness of their actions and thoughts that can end up getting in the way of openness. Something that we're all very good at today is self-sabotage, uh, and which is what I've noticed. And we have these habits and addictions and things that we fall back on to give us relief from feeling uncomfortable emotions. Mm. What are your thoughts on that or experiences on that? On self-sabotage, on just for me, is something that's come up recently in some work that I've done. So mm. just be interesting to hear your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I never thought of it as self-sabotage, but... I, I know self-sabotage sounds, it sounds quite cruel as yeah. if we're just getting in, a, like deliberately getting in our own way. But yeah, it, but we it, do. to me, we it do. is kind of, yeah, yeah, subconsciously. We sure do. Yeah. I think as humans, we're all guilty. guilty. I, 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 actually, that's probably too strong a word. We all learn patterns of behavior that can be unhelpful. Yeah. And if no one's taught you, then if you've never had a teacher or a parent really show you what it means to listen deeply and profoundly to someone. Mm. And listening is a sacred act, actually. It's sacred in the sense you're creating a space for someone someone to reveal themselves, mm -hmm. potentially. Yeah? yeah. And unless you've had someone actually model that, it's going to be very hard to learn it, right? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. You, you, it's like you don't even know you don't know it. Yeah. You know, we're all just getting trying to get through life yeah. as best we can and, and with the tools that we have. And we get a lot of people telling us what to do, giving us answers. And now you see so many parents who are trying to do things for their children, which they probably shouldn't be doing, trying to save their children from pain and suffering mm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm instead of helping their children deal with the pain and suffering by listening to them and, help yeah, them yeah, and yeah. helping them work through it. So we learn bad habits. And some of the bad habits are things like interrupting because uh, that's been modeled to me and, and no one ever listened to me. So I'm going to get my two cents in and, and I don't really care what you have to say. This is a habit I still have. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. I'm just sitting there waiting for someone else to shut up before I can say what I want to say. So we have all these habits. We, we deflect. We we reassure. Okay. Oh, there, there, Ben. It's okay. Yeah. You know, don't feel so Ben, it's okay. It's going to be fine, Ben. Yeah, you know? yeah. Or I might say, oh, Ben, you know what? That same thing happened to me. And I tell you my story. Let me tell you my story, yeah, yeah. Ben. I have to admit, I, I've been guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, you just pour your heart out to me. And I just trash it by telling you my story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or I give you a solution. Oh, ben, this is what you need to do, okay? Mm -hmm. There's three things you need to do, Ben, okay? It's so irritating. And everyone's doing it to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big cycle. <laughs> you know, it's a big cycle. Yeah. So, so when someone actually just is calm, quiet, and says, oh, Ben, 
how does that make you feel? You know? And you go, I don't know. And then there's a bit of silence. You have a bit of space to think about mm -hmm. it. And uh, like that, we've all been taught very unhelpful habits. Yeah, yeah. And deflecting, plus the neuroscience also shows us that I'm only going to listen to something that I'm interested in. Yeah. And if I've already written that person off, I'm certainly not going to listen to them. Mm. I do this listening shed a lot in men's sheds. Yeah. And, you know, you get all the wife jokes, right? Oh, my wife never listens to me. Yeah. And my wife just is yapping away and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. And, and there probably could be some truth to that. You know, like, like you know, the guys don't feel their wives are listening to them. Yeah. And they're making jokes out of it. But it's... Yeah, it's a truth. Yeah. It's, it's truth. And it's because they haven't developed a, a habit of doing that with each other. And these are, these are habits. And we all know, again, now from neuroscience showing us that making little changes in habits can have a big change in our thinking and mm. our neuro, just our whole neural pathways and everything. So it, it, it can be a very, very profound, profound exercise. As a matter of fact, you know, a psychologist said that we outsource the problem of our sanity to other people. Mm. So I'm sharing with you, Ben, and I'm looking at your face. I, I can't look at your face right yeah. now because we're, yeah. we're on audio only. But I'm looking at your face. I'm looking at for you for cues. Does this guy think I'm crazy? Yeah, or is yeah. this guy looking at me empathetically? Micro expressions, yeah. Micro expressions. You are helping me stay sane. Mm. Actually, even over just the audio, just the fact that you're listening, you're quiet, and you're responding the right way. I can hear you going, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're helping me regulate my sanity yeah. just by doing that and it's a really really powerful thing i think that's just not taught it's not valued you know yeah anywhere no it's not it's good to be part of this generation where we're we're starting to make this change which is a big thing behind this podcast and i'm sure it's a big thing behind what you're doing and it's it's great to be part of this movement that's looking for this change to to step in a mm. new direction the one thing that I, I wanted to ask you, and I think rolls off nicely from this, um, because you know I think it's a big thing for, for blokes not sharing because they're scared at humiliating themselves, at not being perfect or doing the right thing, the thing that they're, they're, they're supposed to do. Something I, I, I saw you talking about is that humiliation is, is necessary to help ground us. And can you talk about your experience um, with this? I have a wonderful spiritual teacher. I mean, he, he doesn't know who I am, but I listen to his podcasts and stuff. He's a Franciscan priest called Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. And he says, I need one good humiliation every day to stay human. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. And I said, that's kind of my life too. Because <laughs> I, I have a lot of humiliation. And I yeah, did a little little video about it. Because I think humiliation is, is very interesting because shame you know, people like Brandy Brown talking yeah, about shame yeah. being one of the greatest negative forces in our society today. And she's absolutely right. I mean, you know, it's like she's the expert in this whole area. Yeah. But I also think humiliation can be something that if you can contextualize it well and, and, and talk about it with someone, I think that's the really powerful thing. If you can talk about it with someone and kind of let go of stuff, it could be a really grounding thing. You know, I share about trying to fix this water tank in a camper van and being unable to do it and trying everything and then finally going to a, a, a repair place. And the guy just with one little twist of his arm, you know, this, the, the, the wastewater comes out. And I said, how did you do that? <laughs> I couldn't do that. And he goes, did you try using your second muscle? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, I wanted to kill the guy, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I look at my wife and my wife's eyes are rolling heavenward, you know? Yeah. 
and I talk in the van afterwards. She was great. She just heard me out. I want to kill that. Yeah. But you know, what was really interesting was I got so connected after talking to my wife. I got so connected just to men who all have to suffer humiliation. You know, there were all these competent men standing around this this uh, um, repair place laughing at me, right? Yeah. Standing there in my Lululemon shorts and my Lululemon t-shirt up in, you know, Karatha. But I just got in touch with how horrible humiliation is, but also it was sort of just, I could just not be so up myself. You know, I don't have to be great at everything, yeah. right? Finally, Miles, we like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast just one final question, and and that is, if there was one thing our listeners could do to improve their mental health daily, what would you recommend that be? Okay, well, I'm going to keep banging on <laughs> about communication and listening and speaking. You see, it's not always about looking after yourself. That's what I think. Sometimes, even though I'm hurting, I can actually have a healing experience by trying to care for someone else. I think the more we try to listen to others and create a space where others can talk, I think we're, we're, we're serving other people. And asking, you could actually ask someone, like today I actually had to ask my wife, I said, darling, I need you to listen to me because there's something that happened yesterday where I got really upset. I just need you to listen. I don't, please, you can't, don't say anything. I just need you to listen. And don't respond, don't react, don't try and fix it. I just need you to listen. So I actually, I even solved my own mental health kind of challenge right there by asking her to listen to me and not do anything with it except just to listen. So I think by providing a space for others and asking others to provide that space for us, because they will if you ask them. I think that's a really good thing we can do for mental health and it's, and it's easy and it's quick and anyone can do it. Excellent. Thank you, Miles. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. It's been great being on the podcast with you and your son. <laughs> thank you for doing this, Ben. No worries. My pleasure. Really, thank you for taking this on. What a great bloke Miles is. I love his dedication to being a conscious observer of his inner workings, helping other blokes feel more comfortable about their own. If you want to hear more from him, head to mensbusiness.net. That's mensbusiness.net. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Mental is an In Your Ears podcast. Presented and produced by Ben Jenkins. Produced and edited by Charles Amston. With opening music by Nick Kingswell and closing music by Night Radio. For more information on this and other podcasts, check out the In Your Ears podcast's Facebook page. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and spread the word. And if you or anyone you know needs help, call Lifeline on 13 11